Blog Talk Radio. Well, the week began with a late tax day, and all the news shows ran footage of Tea Party protests. While surveys were released indicating that the same majority of the population might just be in favor of ending the Bush tax cuts. And today is the anniversary of the BP oil spill, just a couple of days before Earth Day. And the U.S. is handing out permits again, and guess who's getting them? Good day, and welcome to Momocrats Mama Chat, brought to you by BubbleGenius.com. I'm Donna Schwartz-Mills, also known as SoCal Mom, and I'm here today with Cinematic of K-12 News Network, and we're expecting Kara Lee from CrooksAndLiars.com. And uh, Sin, tax day, how'd you do? Oh, it's always painful. I just prefer to, <laughs> I just prefer to, uh, you know, do my thing and, and move on and, and not um, dwell too much on the pain. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I will give them one thing. It would be nice if they did simplify the code to an extent that you didn't need a degree in accountant in accountancy to, to fill it out, yeah. you know. It would be very nice, but of course that would put my uh, my tax preparer out of business if it was simple. So I don't know. It seems like there's a great big industry, and every time they monkey with it, it is the tax preparing industry that uh, benefits from it. Mm. Well, but, anyway, I I'm um, we were all I think keenly aware of what was going on around the country in terms of, um, you know, some protests that U.S. Uncut was doing um, to demonstrate how GE and Bank of America and lots of other giant corporations um, basically got rebates or paid no taxes whatsoever in contrast to um, those of us who dutifully, you know, sent off our meager offerings. Um, So I'm hoping that um, that's a that's a lesson that we can kind of keep in mind as the year wears on and we're and we're all still facing, you know, these um budget cuts, et cetera. You know, I think a lot well, of times it's convenient for um corporations to have us all think that, you know, we're operating out of scarcity and that, you know, oh boy, we have to make cuts and it's you know they conveniently want to deflect attention away from the revenue that they should be contributing uh on their part. Well, yeah, you know, people are very quick to forget that, you know, the Bush, that that Bush and Congress passed these tax cuts at a time when we needed to raise revenue, and that the three wars and counting that we've got going on are being paid for, financed by countries that we owe money to, instead of being self-financed, as we have done with every other war we've ever fought. And, you know, th- this deficit, this huge deficit is something that we made ourselves. And um, we can get out of it ourselves. But, you know, we're going to have to raise the revenue at least back to where it was in the Clinton era. I think so. And um, the question is going to be, can other people be convinced of that? <laughs> I mean, you know, we're sane and reasonable, and we understand an all-cuts budget is just not working. But, um, you know, you have your sort of diehard people out there who are convinced that, you know, they, not another penny will go to Uncle Sam. You know, big government is bad. And 
I think, you know, we're seeing that we're reaching a breaking point, um, as I said, in a lot of the states, as the states try to balance their budgets, and certainly here in California, we've been wrangling over that, and I've been, you know, talking all along about how um, we need to keep our existing taxes in place that bring us revenue, and, uh, you know, it's it's a little disappointing that um, public support for it seems to be eroding a little bit, and I think people are losing hope, and, you know, the legislature has not been cooperative at all. So I think we have, you know, a number of different obstacles that we're looking at when it comes to um, raising revenue. But, I mean, one good thing was that President Obama actually came out very strongly last week, and um, you know, and he's been since saying that, uh, reminding us all that the Bush tax cuts for the sort of top 5% income earners uh, in our country, the sort of most wealthy of the wealthy, you know, those tax cuts were extended for two years. So, you know, we're going to revisit, we're going to keep revisiting this issue in terms of who should pay their fair share. And, you know, those those tax cuts are destined to expire pretty soon. So, um, you know, hopefully we can kind of keep up the momentum and just, um, you know, make sure that we get um, a more progressive kind of tax, you know, structure in place where, um, you know, Bill Gates is, is paying the the 30% that he should be paying, uh, let's say, under the Clinton years, and as opposed to the, you know, 16.9% that he's probably getting on his return now. So... Well, you know, I also did see something that was kind of promising earlier this week. It's a, And I put this link on the Momocrats um, Facebook page. It is a University of Maryland study that was mm-hmm. just released where um, they found that when average Americans are presented the federal budget in detail, most are able to reduce the budget deficit dramatically and resolve the Social Security shortfall and doing it through the combination of spending cuts and tax increases as the president is proposing. Mm-hmm. And so there's a summary of what they've done. There's an interactive budget exercise you can try yourself. And on average, respondents who have been, you know, educated as to what the issue is, um, they made net spending cuts of $145.7 billion, but then they also changed revenues by $291 billion, adding wow. revenues. Hmm. And um, that is hopeful. I mean, it, it, I think it just means that you have to cut through all of the rhetoric that is coming out and, and the echo chamber and the things that the mass media are not reporting. You know, I think the biggest problem is just getting the word out to people, you know, in the soundbite yeah. uh, sound uh, atmosphere that we're in, because it is complicated, and it's not simple. And I don't know, it's, 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 it's I, I just found that helpful. I'm hopeful, too. <laughs> you kind of have to be, um, you know, because uh, basically it just seems impossible to me to run on an all-cuts budget, um, you know, just, Kind of common sense wise you know our our population keeps growing, and um if we want even the same level of services, we're going to have to find you know ways to pay for it you know we yeah. can't 
stay at a at a static level. So um yeah, so keep you know, keep it up, US uncut, please, you know, keep educating the public. Um I think it was also kind of interesting that the White House issued a receipt. I don't know if you saw that on the uh, whitehouse.gov uh, website, but you could go and see sort of by percentages um relative to what, you know, your income level might be. Um, you could plug in some numbers, and then it would spit out, you know, a receipt and tell you, you know, what proportion of your tax dollars went to what. So, you know, military spending, giant chunk, um, all kinds of social programs that we count on and like, you know, another chunk. But I think that's also very clarifying for people to be able to see, you know, where your tax dollar is going. Uh, that uh, kind of scares me because I have a feeling a lot of that's going to defense and uh, things that I don't necessarily um, want to happen. I mean, I'm, I'm you know, I, I'm all for homeland security and I'm for supporting our troops, but I'm a little bit tired of being at war constantly. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And I don't know if any of you saw, but there was a um, a very strong piece by Howard Dean in which he basically said, hey, <laughs> July 2011, I seem to remember someone making promises about, um, you know, drawing down by then, and, you know, now we're we're just a few months away from that, so let's start hearing about those plans. And, uh, you know, directing directing his comments to President Obama, basically saying, get our troops out of Afghanistan. You know, we 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 don't have a clear definition of what winning there is. Um, we don't <laughs> seem to be getting any clearer on our on our goals there. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of corruption that we're facing. Um, you know, the women's rights issue. I mean, Karzai is just just as bad practically as the Taliban. Um, you know, so he well, he's like with the Taliban now. You know, yeah, they're, they're, exactly. they're allied. Exactly. So, um, you know, for all those reasons, many good reasons, um, you know, it's time for us to get out of there. So I thought that was very, um, by far, you know, the sort of most um, energetically argued and and high profile mm-hmm. sort of person to make that, you know, to make that public. Um, in an address to President Obama, so well, you know, maybe maybe there's room for hope there too as well. Um, certainly, it we have a lot nice. of very you know war weary troops that would certainly like to come home as soon as possible. Well, I know. I mean, have we ever had a war where people are just constantly being called up from one tour of duty after another, like this? Yeah. I mean, um, it's got to be wearying and just debilitating for the families. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and and the kinds of, you know, the toll that it takes is not going to end once those folks come home. I mean, there's, you know, sort of physical injuries that need to be healed from and, you know, the kind of emotional um turmoil and scarring of uh, you know, the kinds of things <clears throat> that people have have had to undergo. Uh, both overseas and then in terms of separation from their families. So, yeah, of course, there's, yeah. 
we're we're going to be dealing I mean, we've been there now for ten years and we're going to be dealing with this for I would guess at least another generation. Yeah. Um, so the sooner we start, you know, getting <clears throat> getting our people back here and, and starting the process of healing, I think the better. Well, on that note, we've we've got an anniversary to celebrate today, although it's not much of a celebration. Um, it was a year ago today that the BP oil spill began with a big explosion in the Gulf. And um, one year later, we're told that the, that the Gulf looks better, but there's still tar balls being put up everywhere, you know, on, on pristine beaches. Tourism's trying to make a comeback. And... British Petroleum is getting brand new oil leases in the Gulf. I am so upset about that. I'm really <laughs> furious. And then, you know, uh, they you put something on our MomCraft's Facebook page which talks about how a year after the spill, BP gives political contributions to make sure that, you know, they nobody hassles them, basically. And uh, come to find out that the $20 billion that President Obama had negotiated from BP to pay out to the various people in the Gulf who lost their livelihoods, basically, when this, you know, their, the part of the ocean was befouled with this uh, crude oil, um, come to find out that, you know, they've taken a $9.9 billion tax rebate or what have you, you know, that they, that, so how is it that $20 billion that is supposed to come from BP, half of that is, you know, because of this rebate, like taxpayers subsidized, you know what I'm saying? It's really, yeah. really upsetting. So um, I think uh, that, you know, that's another way that people might that you know something has to something has to change. You know we're at a breaking point here in terms of what the middle class can pay, and uh, we can't keep bailing out these billionaires. You know billionaire companies, and we can't keep bailing out you know individual billionaire people. Yeah, yeah, but but somehow it seems to always happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's also what's kind of interesting is that we've seen a lot of you know people standing up for themselves in Wisconsin, Michigan, Indiana, Ohio. You know, hopefully that'll be the same here in California. You know, we get parents and all different kinds of groups to stand up and say, you know, you're now defunding my local school. This is hurting my child, you know. I mean, it's coming very close to home. So I think that people need to feel that they can stand up and and demand that things be different. And, you know... um, Looking at Egypt, you know they had they had their uprising, um, and uh, I heard just recently that um, now they might get their first female candidate for president, which I just think is so incredible. Um, you well, know that, who knows, that actually is. Yeah, who knows what kind of support she'll be able to get, um, but I think there's a really strong sense that for the Egyptian women who participated so strongly in that uprising that, you know, um, the last thing they want to see is, um, you know, sort of the same old men kind of going back into power and, you know, all the things that they fought for just falling by the wayside. So yeah. more the power more the power to them. More the power to yeah. them. Yeah. I just worry over there because of, you know, the issues, you know, some of those women protests 
protesters and even some of our female reporters got roughed mm-hmm. up by some mm-hmm. of those men. Mm-hmm. So attitudes there are, you know, a lot more um, rigid, I think, especially on the Islamist side. So well, I don't know. They, I don't know I what mean, the... They have, you know, I think every country has their sort of religious fundamentalists and, you know, we have ours. <laughs> One yeah. to take away... Uh, you know, pro-choice for women, you know, wanting to um, say that women cannot even have access to pap smears that they might get at Planned Parenthood. I mean, Well, know. they can go to Walgreens, right? Right, Walgreens, right. Pap smears in aisle three. Um, yeah, so, you know, they they definitely have their struggles, but we definitely have our struggles too, you know. Yeah. Well, this is this is true, but it it will be fascinating to continue to watch the birth of democracy over there, and uh, trying to fight to keep ours over here. You mentioned Michigan, and I'm just amazed at what is happening over there with the governor taking over, deciding to just declare a community, you know, bankrupt and take it over the way I'm he's really, doing over yeah. there. I'm really alarmed by that because. Um, you know, just to cite one specific example, there is a highly successful um, high school program, public high school program for pregnant teen moms, and they have, like, this outstanding rate of um, graduation. I think, like, you know, 100% of their graduates go on to college, which is just incredible, Um and, uh, you know, they they have, like, all these kinds of services to help um, teen moms. Um, you know, child care is obviously a huge, huge thing. Um, you know, sort of life skills, um, parenting skills, all these kinds of things that, um, you know, that basically if you're a teen mom, it's all uphill. So this is, you know, this is to help you get over the hill. And, and they're an incredible success. I think they're like the only high school, public high school that exists in the nation. And uh, they are, they're being shut down basically under this umbrella sort of claim that, um, you know, uh, there's a, there's an incredible budget crisis. They're in financial uh, emergency. And as a result of the emergency, then, you know, the governor can, can send in um, somebody to uh, manage these public services um then and basically kind of take it over. Now, I think what troubles me is that, you know, this sort of um appointed financial management person, you know, what sort of accountability do they have to the rest of the community, right? Um yeah. And at what point does the financial emergency get called off? Right. So I feel like there are a lot of very slippery sorts of criteria for determining, okay, when is the emergency over? I mean, there's a reason why this is called financial martial law. I mean, this is it's a, it's a drastic step. And, um, you know, the, so the students at that particular school have been sitting in, but I think it's also grown so that, um, you know, people in the state are really starting to feel like, you know, the, is the point of this to decimate public schooling? Because it sure seems like that's what the effect is. Um, there is a special provision called Public Act 4, which Governor Snyder signed, and it basically says that, well, we're going to do by fiat what 
you know, Governor Walker attempted in Wisconsin, with, you know, through the legislature, which is to remove collective bargaining rights for teachers. And so Public Act 4 in 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 uh, Michigan is really, you know, basically lifting all of those kinds of collective bargaining agreements and saying, well, you know, because, again, a financial emergency, we're going to just, uh, you know, rearrange all these kinds of agreements that we had previously and suspend them and, you know, make our own kinds of rules unilaterally. And I think that that's an extremely dangerous kind of thing to do. Again, like what sort of accountability do these emergency financial managers have? You know, when does the financial emergency get called off? When do sort of regular rules, you know, come back into play? I just think it's it's a really disturbing kind of action. And I think a lot wow. of that is happening under the guise of budget crisis. Well, it's it's even worse than, than that. Rachel Maddow did a whole piece on it yesterday, on yesterday's show. I don't know if you saw that. And she followed the money. And it turns out that Benton Harbor, the town that they are, that they are closing down, um, has a park with a lake that was deeded to them in perpetuity mm-hmm. that real estate interests would like to get hold of to build a new country club development. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be what is at the bottom of all of this. Uh-huh. And that Benton Harbor is mostly African-American and it's adjacent twin town is mostly white. St. Joseph's. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it just it just appears to be a power play, a real estate play. Yeah, I would over go so, this real I, estate. I would go so far as to call it a land grab. And I think yeah. you see I think you see an analogous thing happening in terms of charter schools where um now, you know, charter schools seem to be thriving in this climate where public schools are really ailing and that's partly because charter schools you know, also have access to this sort of foundation and other kinds of, you know, private fundraising. But I think also um, as a result of there not being enough facilities to go around, school facilities to go around, um, you know, charter schools are now being able to sort of co-locate in some cases, meaning share public school facilities with existing public schools, and in other cases just take over newly built newly built uh, schools. I mean, we see that here in Los Angeles. Um, there was a LAUSD brand new school that was built in Echo Park to the cost of $68 million. Um, I think it was K-8, through and we profiled this on K-12 News Network. Um, and, a, and a group of um, people who lived in the neighborhood, in the community, um, in, in collaboration with some teachers, um, definitely in collaboration with LAUSD, um, I think uh, it was, you know, very union friendly, et cetera. They developed a proposal where they um, said, you know, this is the kind of school that we want to have, and this is our proposal for running it, you know, with these kinds of programs and policies. Um, this is under um, LAUSD's public, you know, public school choice program. Right. And a charter school also submitted a proposal, um, and as a result of the LAUSD recent board meeting back in March, 
uh, LAUSD basically voted to override Ramon Cortinez's suggestion that we go with the sort of community-based proposal and instead go with the charter school proposal. So now you have a sort of hybrid, partly private, partly publicly funded charter school, which, you know, its charter school management organization is not people in education, but, you know, generally sort of financial people, investors, et cetera, um, who are now taking over this $68 million school. So setting aside for a moment, you know, which proposal was actually, you know, objectively better if you could determine such a thing, um, it's a little disturbing to me that, you know, the public can fund a, a very expensive, gleaming sparkling, amazing facility only to be taken over by a charter school. I mean, why is it that existing public schools <laughs> are given sort of second or even last choice in, in these kinds of situations? So, And recognize also that this is the land grab part of it. Recognize also that in that neighborhood of Echo Park, the government, I mean, the city, basically, and also LAUSD, exercised the right of eminent domain to build on that site. And in order to do that, they had to basically push out, like, about 60 families that were living in houses in that residential neighborhood, push them out to, you know, create the open space in which to build the $68 million school. So, I mean... You know, well, you kind of have to recognize that the people in the neighborhood, no wonder they had such a strong um, commitment to what the school would be in a very strong sense of like, you know, this is this is very much from our neighborhood and, and we should have a say. I mean, I think regardless of, you know, what you think of how the different proposals fell, you know, you can sort of recognize that, you know, if you saw your neighbor's forcibly removed from your neighborhood so to make room for the school, then you would want to um, make sure that the school reflects what the community itself wants. Well, yeah, but, you know, I, I can see the other side of that story, too, because I also live within LAUSD. We have a new high school mm-hmm. that is opening up in the fall, mm-hmm. and we have a very, very successful charter school here that had been an LAUSD school that it's not an outside company. It is a charter that came out of the teachers and the parents in Mm -hmm. the community. Uh And Granada Hills High School went completely charter a few years ago. And they've done really, really well. And the community loves them. You know, you cannot get into the school. The scores are very high. Mm-hmm. And it's a wonderful free education for people. This is a successful charter. Uh-huh. And they lobbied to get this new school as overflow because there's like there's like a five thousand person waiting list for, for their school. So uh-huh. they were they wanted to operate this as a second campus. Mm-hmm. And we had the vote here and I can tell you that um almost no one knew this vote was happening. Mm-hmm. It was at a weird time on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, there were there were phone calls that LAUSD does, L, you know, robocalls to people in the community. Mm-hmm. But I get so many robocalls from the school, LAUSD and stuff. I mean, it just it just gets it becomes just more noise, mm-hmm. you know. And um, not very many people showed up at this vote, 
And it was also very unclear as to what happened with the ballots. I don't think we ever found out what the public voted. Mm. And then they awarded, you know, LAUSD kept the school. Mm-hmm. They did not give it to the charter. Mm-hmm. And my feeling from people in the community is that they would have preferred the charter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I don't know. You know, I, I, I don't understand how the school board operates is the bottom line. Right. It's a bit of a and, mystery. Yeah. And not all charters are outside corporate, for-profit, not right. education-based yes. um, things. I mean, right. you know, this, I think this that is obviously the, a neighborhood charter, right? I yeah. Mean, you know, originated by the people who you know lived in yeah. the community. Yeah. I mean, definitely. Yeah. I, and I think that you know maybe if there had been a third sort of neighborhood charter option, then you know maybe the folks who lived in that Echo Park neighborhood would have been you know, a little more sort of um, yeah. didn't feel quite so um, railroaded, you know, and, and yeah. overlooked. Um, but I think the difficulty with Camino Nuevo is that um, it is one of these charters that's like a little mini franchise. Okay. So I think, you know, there was some discomfort with the fact that, you know, this little management organization has is very enterprising, has like six or seven um, of these um, charter schools, um, and you know, uh, it, the re- the academic record is you know not necessarily stellar. It's unclear to me. You know, if you look at different metrics of how well that school is doing, you'll get a different picture. You know, depending what metric you use, so on and so forth. So, um, you know, so I think that. In in that case, in the Echo Park case, I think that was also sort of salt in the wound, and it just sort of felt like, well, you know, the the folks from within the neighborhood, um, you know, their say was overlooked because they had a public vote, and the the vote, the community vote was in favor of the community proposal, and uh, Ramon Cortinez, the outgoing um, LAUSD superintendent, you know, he had recommended that the community proposal be accepted. And then it was sort of a last-minute maneuver in LAUSD that, you know, finally awarded the charter school proposal the the right to, you know, run that school. So yeah. I, I think these things are complicated, but I also I think that, you know, it, certainly in the case of Imagine Schools, which is enormous charter management chain with, like, you know, probably 80 schools around the country in, in several different states, I mean, they have these very complicated lease back kinds of, you know, real estate arrangements. And I think on that scale, I think you're really looking at something that is a land grab, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and it's that, bizarre. It is it is, it is yeah. absolutely bizarre that in one commu- in both communities they seem to have ignored what the what the population wanted. Mm-hmm. But like on opposite ends of of the spectrum. <laughs> right. Right. Well, I think you it's know. also tricky, too, because you're asking people who live in that community, you know, you want to respect their voices, but at the mm-hmm. same time, you know, that school is going to be there for 50, hopefully 100, you know, however many years, and so you do yeah. have to have an eye on posterity and sort of what might, what you know, what might be best kind of in the overall larger scheme of things. So it's it's very, these are these are not easy decisions by any stretch of the imagination, but I think that, you know, 
kind of um, community say does need to have a place, and and yeah. you know it's too bad that it it gets ignored. Yeah, I mean it's too bad well, that um you know the the many things that make that phenomenal Grenada Hills Charter work cannot be, you know, transplanted and put into the the public school that's going to be there. I mean, wouldn't that be kind of ideal? And that was sort of the idea of what charter schools were supposed to be, that they would be like exactly. this sort of experimentational kind of approach and, and like a lab, and then you would take your best ideas from that and put it back into the existing schools. Oh, exactly. I mean, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why all of the Valley High Schools are going charter. Mm. They're converting to charter. That is the trend here in the Valley, although at our own school, um, the one my daughter goes to, they are there's like a there's like a mid um range, there's this compromise thing that's with um LAUSD and the unions and so they don't quite go all the way charter and they're talking about doing that at the school my daughter's going to and I'm I'm kind of hoping that they expand the magnet program mm-hmm. to the rest of the school, which would probably be a shock for the rest of the kids in the school, but um it would definitely give them the chance of getting an actual good education. So, I mean, yeah. LAUSD, it is so complicated. It really it's is. like a whole, it's like another country. And it is. It has a budget. <laughs> you know, we, you know, one of the, the um, superintendent before Cortinas had been governor of Colorado. Uh-huh. I mean, yeah. that is how yeah. big and Byzantine. Yeah. Um, the school district is. Yes. Um, you know, we're a little bit past the halfway mark. Oh. And oh. we actually have a caller oh. who hmm. I would like to get to. But first, okay. um, let's put in a shout-out to our friends at Bubble Genius. Um, you found something on their Facebook page that looked absolutely yummy. Yeah, I found this delicious-looking chocolate bunny that is really soap. <laughs> so I just thought, you know, given the um, the fact that we're coming out of Passover and heading into Easter, um, that that was just a really kind of charming thing that they've done. And um, it's it's very much like Bubble Genius to make something delicious and fun like that. So I yeah. put it on our Facebook page and just show folks like what, you know, what kinds of fun things they have over at Bubble Genius. So they all, they always have, you know, holiday-themed things. I'm sure Mother's Day, they've got an incredible basket that they're putting together. They've got a beautiful basket for Mother's Day, and, and stuff smells so good. Yes. And, you know, it cleans so well, and it's all very safe and earth-friendly, and, uh, you know, which is also ideal in talking about Earth Day. That's right. That's right. And, oh, before we talk about Earth Day, though, I did want to highlight for people, there's two sort of very interesting races that are kind of heating up. Um, One is in Iowa, and it seems like too early to talk about Iowa, but this is really about the governor's race. Um, No, I'm sorry, a congressional race, congressional race, that um, Christy Vilsack, who is the spouse of um, Tom Vilsack, who is our agriculture secretary, and uh, from Iowa, you know, it's it's looking as if she is going to go against um, Steve King um, in Iowa, who is a Republican. So she would be the Democratic challenger. So I'm I'm actually excited about that. It seems like you know she has legitimate roots in the state, and uh, you know, obviously has some um, 
<clears throat> have some experience with public life, definitely. Um, I would like to, you know, take a closer look at her personal qualifications. But um, she certainly has the blessing of the Democratic Party, so, you know, that seems like something to watch over there. And I'm I'm glad any time a Democratic woman is going to challenge a Republican man. <laughs> yeah. So, well, we definitely want to keep track of female candidates, and yep. I'm sure that on Mamacrats.com we'll be doing another round of Run Mama Run, um, just focusing on women and especially moms who are running and hoping to help them raise awareness and raise funds and campaign resources. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't think it's too early to look at Iowa. I mean, the media are all looking at all the Republicans vying for space in Iowa. And just one quick Uh, other um, mention of a candidate before we get to our caller. Um, Oh, the caller's gone. Oh, <laughs> okay. Caller's so, gone, but but you know what? Someone's okay. been calling in and out via Skype through the whole show, so maybe the caller will come back. Yeah, let's hope so. Um, anyway, so if, given that they're gone, then I'll just continue on. Okay. Um, <laughs> Randy Hopper is a Wisconsin State Senator, and I also put this on our Facebook uh, page, Momocrat's Facebook page. He um, is being recalled uh He's someone who stood firm with Walker and um, earned the ire of, you know, Wisconsinites, basically, um, for taking, you know, trying to take the state in this very radical, sort of extreme conservative um, direction. So he is being recalled. And uh, recently he did what I think of as sort of a prat, uh, like a prank, like a frat boy prank, because he listed on in his newsletter a phone number to call in, but it what didn't lead to his, you know, constituent call-in line. It led to an adult, you know, sort of chat line where you're greeted by, you know, someone saying, hey, sexy, whatever. And, and so oh my um, goodness. that just seems really, really disrespectful of his constituents. I don't think I'd be very happy if I called in with an issue and, and was greeted with that. Uh, because a lot of times also those adult chat lines you have to pay, right? So, <laughs> you know, That's number awful. one, number one, it's extremely disrespectful. Number two, uh, you know, I would be really incensed if I had to pay for being disrespected like that. So um, he's obviously, you know, he he's the one who um, is no longer living in his district because uh, he's living with his mistress, his lover. Um, I guess the divorce isn't final <laughs> yet. Uh, um, and, uh, you know, his his um, sort of marital arrangements were exposed as a result of being recalled. So I think, you know, he's kind of been two-timing his, his wife for some time now, but it was just... Recently, and his constituents. Yes, recently exposed. And so he's no longer living in the district. He, he treats his constituents in this very disrespectful way. So he's being challenged by somebody who is the Oshkosh Common Counselor and a Democratic candidate, Jessica King. So um, I actually think it would be a lot of fun to get Jessica King on as a guest for our show to talk about exactly what's been going we on should try and We should try and do that. Yeah. And at this point, I'm going to announce our mm-hmm. call-in number. This is the real number. This is not an adult chat line. Um, it's area code 347-945-6465. And if that caller or another caller would like to come back, 
um, we will um, interrupt our, our chatting among ourselves and, and bring you on bring you on along with us. So um, anyway, um, we want so to talk want, about Earth Day. Yeah, Earth Day. Well, uh, you and I went to the Green Expo in downtown Los Angeles, and we collected a lot of information and talked to a lot of um, different people about their products and services. And um, all in all, you know, I think the green um, sector is just, one of the more hopeful sectors. I mean, it's not quite as depressing as everything else that's going on uh, around us. Um, it, it's one of the few areas where there's growth and, you know, this real orientation toward a different kind of sustainable energy um, and way of, of, you know, making products and getting them to people. So um, so that was actually very heartening. I was I was really happy to hear about that. And then also I just wanted to mention really quickly, there was this huge, huge training that took place this past weekend in D.C. called Power Shift, and there were 10,000 young people who showed up to be trained in community organizing methods um, around climate issues. And um, I think this is also incredible, you know, cause for hope because, you know, coming on the heels of the BP oil spill disaster and given that climate has really lost a lot of urgency as an issue for many, you know, progressives, many people just in general. And uh, the failure of to pass a climate bill, you know, in the previous Congress, I, clearly we're not getting a climate bill in this Congress. Uh, so it's, it's really wonderful to know that, you know, we, we have some young people who are incredibly devoted to this issue. And despite the fact that there was hardly any media coverage, um, you know, these folks, got organizing tips from sort of experts in the field, so to speak, and uh, they actually got a meeting with the White House. And so I think they were very frank in telling President Obama, you know, um, this is our big issue. This is what we care about. This affects everybody, um, and we are not going to sit back and, you know, um, not challenge you. <laughs> we're going to push you. Very so, good. You know, I'm I'm really excited about that. You know, we will push you politely and impolitely if need be, but we will push you on this because, you know, we can't afford to drag our feet any longer. So that was that was also something very hopeful. But anyway, so do you want to talk about some of the stuff we saw at the Green Expo? Yeah. You know, what, what struck me about this is, you know, I've been going to these types of trade shows for years and years and years. I mean, you know, I'm old. Um, but I remember 30, 40 years ago, it would be a bunch of hippies with patchouli and, you know, you might see a, a little bit of solar paneling somewhere and that would be it. But here we had about 200 different vendors at the L.A. Convention Center and people were wearing business suits and they were really entrepreneurial and excited and some of them had some terrific innovative products and what struck me was that a lot of them were created by women. And you mm -hmm. had these, these women with a great idea and a, a niche to fill. I mean, one of my favorites was a um, a green garment bag. I know that, you know, I, I'm, I'm not the most environmentally conscious person as I would like to be. And I do things in little tiny steps. And for me, recycling the hangers has been a step. But um, 
you know, I, I do get upset with all of this waste I get at the dry cleaner with the plastic bags and the paper things. And this garment bag is something that is meant for you to use as both a hamper type of thing for your dry cleaning. And then you bring the dry cleaning in the bag and the dry cleaner packages your stuff back in the bag and you reuse it. And it's called the Green Garmento. And um, they already have some dry cleaning chains here in L.A. using their bag. Oh, that's great. And, um, yeah, and what struck me is that they have an endorsement from, oh, this is so weird, from the situation from Jersey Shore, Jim <laughs> Tan Laundry. So they had, like, this big cutout of the situation with this thing. And I said, Does he, you know, is he really green? And they go, well, we think that he uses it because, it, you know, it organizes. It helps him to organize his uh, <laughs> his dry cleaning part of the, of the Jim Tan Laundry. And I'm like, okay, you know what, that's fine. So, I mean, it works for an organizational standpoint because it gives you a place to keep the dry cleaning and it just kind of packs up. It's got like this little holder so it becomes a hamper and then you just take the bag out of the hamper, bring the whole thing to the dry cleaner. And so I thought that was a great little product and um, that's, that's one of the ones that struck me. And then there were some beautiful organic fashions. Some women had mm-hmm. done some gorgeous children's clothes, baby and toddler clothes. And um God there were quite a few vendors with, with the with the clothing. Yeah. Um, I I happened to chat up one woman who is she does um echo luxury. So she's very much, you know, couture sort of runway, very um fashion forward. Um stuff basically that I generally don't wear because I look like a slob at home. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> gorgeous, gorgeous clothing, you know. I, I might not be a clothes pony myself, but I definitely admire that in, in other people. And um, Linda Loudermilk is her name, and uh, she yes, had incredible, incredible fabrics made of seaweed, um, of wood fiber, um, obviously silk, and, you know, cottons, organic cottons, but um, she was just really like a magician with um, with these things and, you know, just gorgeous pieces. I ended up buying a shirt from her, so. <laughs> um, it was like that, that you did that effective. after I left. I did, I did. And, you know, just really beautiful, um, you know, dyes that are not toxic. Um, you know, so she's really kind of thought just thought this through pretty carefully, as have a lot of the other folks um, there. So that was extremely encouraging that you know yes. it's 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 more than just the organic t-shirt i mean i love my organic mm-hmm. t-shirts but it's sort of like you know you can it's you like can up wear to the next and, level yeah you can wear this and be all fancy so yeah, yeah. no i yeah. saw her things and they were beautiful mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so um yeah i'm a little bit jealous you bought something there she i had to dash out and get my kids song. She sold it to me for a song, and it was like, oh, I can't resist. Of course I've got to buy it. <laughs> so another wow. thing, there were lots and lots of um, solar, you know, panel folks, of course. Um, people, now there are companies where you can lease it uh, so that you don't necessarily have to invest in installing and purchasing a system that will be on your roof, you know, for however many years. And, and I think, the, you know, the lease option seems to work for a lot of people. Yeah, and that is a great development because there is such an expense involved in doing solar. I mean, you know, I thought about it when we replaced our roof last year, and it was just, you know, 
so expensive. Mm-hmm. We ended up not doing it. And that is something that I have always, always wanted to do. I think it's just, you know, they keep talking about all, you know, building these big solar farms out in the desert. Mm-hmm. And I think that you could accomplish just as much just by installing solar panels on the homes here in Los Angeles. How much mm-hmm. energy would we save? Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. If, you know, and, and it just seems like a waste. Yep. You know? But, you know, I guess DWP can't figure out how to make money on it that way. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So they're not So that's not efficient. encouraged. Right. Well, the other thing that I thought was really great were a couple of folks who were offering um, gardening like vegetable gardening tending services. So, and I was actually interested in looking into this for our school because, um, you know, we have a lot of parents who are interested in getting our school gardens kind of, you know, uh, to the next level uh, where they might actually produce something that could be used in, like, the school lunches, let's say. Um, but there's always the issue in terms of schools as uh, as to who is going to water the garden in the heat of the summer when people are on vacation, right? And there's just it it can be sort of uh, difficult to get a commitment year round in the way that gardens need. Yeah. So this seems like a really great service because not only do you get folks coming in once a week or maybe you know twice a month or once a month, whatever it is you want to arrange, but you have people who are knowledgeable and uh, can also, you know, teach kids, you know, the science of gardening as they are out there, you know, doing stuff. So you get kind of curriculum as well as the actual um, care and tending of, you know, whatever you've got in your garden. So I thought that was like a very um, smart, um, it seemed like a really smart kind of business to, to open up. And, you know, I mean, yeah, there's, I, there's I a lot of out there. Yeah, well, they also um, did a residential service. I mean, I know mm-hmm. you you are a gardener. I know that. But, you know, I've got a brown thumb. And I've got <laughs> lots of land here that would make a nice garden. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I kill everything I touch. So mm-hmm. I was very interested in the residential service. They mm-hmm. They actually will build the beds for you and do the planting. And, you know, you don't have to do that much. You know, right. they'll come and, and, and take care of it. But, uh, yeah, yeah, that was definitely something that I would like to look into. The idea of having fresh tomatoes and basil in the summer is just, uh, mm, you know. Yeah, well, and not that. only that, but here in California, in Southern California at least, I mean, we can pretty much get away with a year-round kind of garden yeah. if you just know what to plant. So, yeah. you know, having that kind of guidance is uh, and, you know, instruction is is also key, yeah. Yeah, and and you know, I they set up drip irrigation, so you're not wasting a lot of water. Mm-hmm. And I loved that too, because that's here in Southern California. That is the big issue is using the water. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, and I want to also mention in terms of that. I mean, now that we know that blue is the new green, or that you know, green <laughs> and we have to be green and blue at the same time, um, in terms of conserving water. Um, Mm -hmm. There was a really kind of cool um, pump, a solar-operated pump or solar-powered pump for people who have rain barrels. And I didn't realize this, but, like, rain barrels are, like, really, really popular. Rain barrels are happening. 
it makes total sense. And so, again, yeah. for, like, the home gardener or, you know, whether you've got vegetables or flowers, whatever, I mean, that just seems like a really great thing because now yeah. you don't have to dip, you know, the heavy bucket into the barrel and try to hoist it out, but instead you can, you know, just hook up your hose and use it basically. Yeah. You know, it's pressurized, so you can just use it really That's easy. great. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this year especially we had – so much unexpected rain in Los Angeles, and, you know, that just goes right down the storm drain into the bay. Mm-hmm. And it would make such a difference if everybody in Los Angeles was fitted with solar power and a rain barrel, you know? Absolutely. Um, and I think the other thing is that this summer I'm sure we'll be facing water rationing again because, um, you know, it takes a lot of water to operate those sprinklers and uh, keep everyone's lawn, you know, yeah. nice and green. So, I mean, you know, this is yeah, a Even way though that, the drought's officially over, you know, right. I, you know, I predict that, you know, within the next two years we'll be back in a drought situation. Sure, sure. So. Exactly. So they're not likely to to lower the rates on water or stop the rationing. Mm -hmm. Yep. So there's just a lot of, you know, my mind was opened up as to the different kinds of ways that, you know, you could be even greener than you are now. Yeah. Um, And then in terms of, like, the mom entrepreneurs, that was a lot of fun because we saw um, a woman who had uh, a glass um, baby bottle that had a plastic sort of, you know, sleeve um, so that, you know, if you happen to drop it by accident or if the baby, you know, happened to drop it by accident, you wouldn't have a, you know, shattered glass around a baby, which is obviously horrible. But, um, you know, it's also to sort of calm the fears of people who are concerned about BPA in um, plastic bottles. So, um, you know, there's no contact between the, the milk or whatever you're feeding the baby <clears throat> and the plastic. The plastic is just the sleeve outside, you know, the glass. So, um, and it, you're just you know, obviously reusing um, the glass and the, and the plastic sleeve. Um, so, you know, I thought that was very innovative. Um, another mom entrepreneur is the, the famous lady behind the wrapping mats. Um, she was doing these things. Oh, like that was awesome. 13 years ago, I think she said she started. Yeah. And so now these are the little um, um, sort of waterproof lined pouches that you can put kids sandwiches and snacks in and you can chuck out you know you can stop buying stop using the baggies and the hefty bags exactly yeah i loved that that is exactly the kind of little step towards green that you know it's it's kind of painless to, to switch to especially since those bags could be put in the dishwasher and washed yes before you reuse them and you know that to me just was uh Wonderful, because if you make it painless, I can do it. Yeah. And um, <laughs> yeah. And, and that's what it's going to take. You know, you've got people who can go to the effort and really work hard at being green, but the mass of people need to be nursed along by baby steps. Yeah. And well, if you get enough of them doing that, it can make a difference. Yeah, and I think, you know, we're we're all making an effort with our CFL light bulbs, but another big trend that we saw at the Expo were LED light bulbs. Yes. Um, You know, this is, is, I think, the next frontier because CFL Mm -hmm. light bulbs, 
um, you know, there's kind of a problem in terms of the mercury that's used to manufacture them. They they are very long-lived, but, um, you know, there is that kind of element of using a poison in the manufacturer, and so what do you do with it when you throw it away? Some right. municipalities um, even, you know, go so far as to say that you can't, you know, you can't dispose of that just by throwing it in your garbage. So right. Um, you know, if that's the case, then, okay, now you have a problem of, like, well, how do I get rid of this? You know, what is the proper way to get rid of this? Has anyone, you know, made an accommodation for that in sort of, you know, city and local, you know, garbage collection, right? So um, LED, um, you know, I think even has a longer lifespan and at the same time, you know, provides very um, very cool um, <clears throat> low-powered light. And uh, so I think this is, you know, something that, people are only beginning to become aware of. And so there were at least two manufacturers of LED light bulbs. And again, they learned from the CSL experience where, you know, no one wants like an ugly, harsh, cold, fluorescent That's lighting. what I was going to say. They've they, got them in different kinds, degrees right. of warmth. And, right. and, you know, it looks very, very good. I mean, those lights were really attractive. Yeah, yeah. So I think I asked uh, whether they had outdoor lighting in LED uh, format, Mm -hmm. and they said, well, I think as a result of the way the the LED bulbs are put together, they're not very durable when you get them outside, so you don't really see very many of them for outdoor use at this point. They have to be completely enclosed, apparently. But Mm -hmm. um, otherwise, you know, I'm sure some ingenious, innovative person will figure out a a way to solve the problem, and then we can have LED outdoor lighting also. Right. I mean, yeah. this is like the ingenuity of America that President Obama, as I was talking about, that you know we don't we're not satisfied with sort of the latest you know version of things or even how we used to do it way back when. We always want to improve on things. So that's kind of the positive side of how restless we are is that we always want to improve. Yeah. Well, um, I think that we've we've talked about a lot of these wonderful products, and I took some pictures of some of them, and um, I'll be putting a post up on mamacrats.com with links to some of the best ones that we saw so people Mm -hmm. can check them out for themselves. Yeah. Because um, I think we need to support our green companies and our female entrepreneurs. Definitely. And it's, um, it's a good thing to do for Earth Day. Yes, absolutely. And I just want to mention, um, you know, this is sort of this just in breaking news. But, um, we have been chatting with Emily's list, and um, it looks as if we will be able to get, as a guest, maybe not as soon as next week, but could conceivably be as early as next week, you know, sometime soon, we may Very be able soon. to get Stephanie Shryrock, who is yes. the fearless leader of Emily's list. And, um, you know, as the 2012 elections draw nearer, we'll definitely want to be, you know, in partnership with them, watching um, the kinds of specifically pro-choice candidates who are women um, who they highlight. So um, that's that's something I think is really exciting. I'm, I'm really looking forward to having her talk about, you know, what they do at EMILY's List and how the rest of us can get involved and support. Well, we will make sure to have all of our readers and listeners and Facebook fans know about that when we actually firm up that booking. But yeah, that's very, I'm very excited about that too. Yeah. And um, we have less than a minute. 
friends, the female yeah. entrepreneurs at Bubble Genius, earth friendly and uh nice not, smelling and not tested on animals and also vegan ingredients. Yes, bubblegenius.com and you know, on top of that, everything that they make is fun. Fun, fun, fun. So, um Sin, thank you for oh, thank you. taking the time again. And um We'll see all of you guys next week here at Mama Kratz Mama Chat.